I always knew that it behooves me, especially if I gain any kind of success or, or sort of my name or face get any kind of currency, that I have to use it um, as best I can to the extent that people will allow me to, um, to, to point them in the direction of interesting stuff here. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Glory Media, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from each other, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Jay, so great to meet you. How are you today? Congrats on the movie. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, nice to meet you. Um, and I'm well, thanks. Uh, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so you have a movie coming out that really chronicles the rise and fall of one of Canada's most infinite, uh, infamous businesses, Research in Motion, which, as we all know, made Black Mary. What was the wildest or most surprising thing that you discovered about the company when you were preparing for your role as the co-founder, Mike Lazaridis? Uh, that's a very good question. Well, I guess um, as a as, as, I, as somebody that was a uh, BlackBerry uh, customer and user until literally about two years ago, uh, I was shocked that I didn't know about any of the uh, American government SEC investigation stuff. I knew I knew I knew absolutely none of that stock stock option stuff. So um, so that that was a fucking pretty crazy thing to learn. Um, also crazy to learn that uh, the 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 black the uh, Game Boy was es essentially the kind of design fulcrum on which BlackBerry was rest you know it, it, it was rested and so it was like yeah all, all, all sorts of details like that but I think the stock thing was the craziest yeah absolutely um, and so the movie BlackBerry showcases how you know one Canadian company really became a juggernaut and a captain of an industry. And in many ways, it's certainly a cautionary tale, but there are a lot of those these days in the tech and business space. So what do you think makes this story so uniquely worth telling in a sea of um, a lot of cautionary tales? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that um, number one, um, the 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 importance of, of what they created. Uh, like, I think, you know, there, there are plenty of companies that come and go um, and the world isn't really much different uh, for them having been there. Uh, but but uh, Research in Motion and the BlackBerry uh, set the table for the 21st century and, and, and the way that the people engage with each other and participate in the world um, is all on the backs of what they created, you know. Um, Tr tr just try to go back over the last sort of 10, 15 years of, of world history and try to uh, separate it from uh, interactions on social media and the dissemination of info via mobile phone device, you know, and, and, and all of these things like we, we live in a world that they helped create, you know, and I would argue that, you know, history will, will view that innovation as like as a quantum leap. You know, so something along the lines of like Gutenberg uh, Press, you know, um, also the fact that it uh, did what it did, had, you know, 50 percent market share or something and uh, to zero down to utter zero, you know, um, and uh, and the fact that none of these guys are household names, you know, um, typically yeah. there are sort of cults of personality around successful 
kind of entrepreneurs or successful inventors, especially ones who are um, responsible for creating the world that we live in, um, in large part, and uh, and they're not household names. I think like in Canada, people have heard of Mike Lazaridis. Hockey fans might know Jim Balsillie from the year that he tried to move a team here, but aside from that, they don't. They're um, they're not the sort of go to kind of icons or or memes uh, that like a sort of Jobs or somebody is. And so I think all of these things make it uh, compelling and deeply Canadian too. Yeah, and building on that, you know, research in motion is a universal story, but it's also such a Canadian one. What are your thoughts? Because I know you've talked about this in the past. What are your thoughts on this notion or your stereotype of the, you know, apologetic kind of passive Canadian? And do you think that our public perception has changed at all with the success of our exports like a Drake or The Weeknd who are so unapologetic about their success and talent? Yeah, I think that um, there has always been a sort of disconnect with how Canada views itself and how and and how Canada is in in um, in the doing in 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 a day day to day life, you know. I think like um, what's what's most sad. It's it's kind of hard to answer that question without going back 150 years or so. But mm-hmm. what's most sad is um, there's a really great book that Pierre Burton wrote called um, Hollywood's Canada, and it was all about the way that Canada was expressed on screen in American cinema in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, and this is where we get the sort of uh, stock kind of Canadian uh, icons or stereotypes or or whatever you want to call it, the, the sort of the fur trapper, uh, the, the, the quiet, humble uh, Mountie, um, you know, the, all of these different sort of stereotypes. Um, they all come from American cinema. They're all created by Americans who'd never been here. Um, and and which is fine. That's their pro- that's their prerogative. It gets sad and tragic. When we take it on ourselves so we are defined by stereotypes that someone else came up with and we have decided that that's how we see ourselves too so we have but there's always been a disconnect right there's always been a disconnect because yes we are sort of polite if you want to use that word um and and maybe uh, passive is another word that sometimes is used except for except for we we have been in and punched above our weight in every major conflict that Britain or the U.S. was in in the 20th, 19th, 20th, and 21st centuries. Um, we, we, we gave the world a sport where we all just accept can devolve into fist fights anytime we decide, right? And so, so, so I would argue that we are as violent as anybody. I think that out of fear of being labeled American and thinking that we're more real, morally superior to them and culturally superior to them. So we 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 hate it. We hate a show off up here. My grandmother would hate someone rising above their station. My family would rather I be a humble failure than a proud success. And that's something we inherit from Britain, but it's also gone. It, it has been tempered by the fact that we're next to the States, which is all about me, 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 and me going as far as I could possibly go. And so so all of that, plus, plus in taking American culture and in taking American in, um, interpretations of us, has conspired to make us believe that we're quiet and passive and humble and won't do anything and won't achieve anything, right? And and that, by the way, this is also a deeply Caucasian Canada we're describing, a Canada that exists, you know, um, less and less every day, right? Like the, the, I don't know that this 
these sort of, we, we are talking about kind of like Anglo-Saxon old way, Anglo-Saxon old stock kind of value system that I think is sort of increasingly at odds with, with the Canada of, of 2023. Um, so, so this is all to say, sorry, and I'll shut up after this. The, the, no, I love the, it. <laughs> this is, this is all to say that we are as diverse and contradictory um, as any people on, 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 on the planet. I would argue that we've come up, we have the best country the world has ever come up with. I think on average, in terms of the median, I think on average, the per, the average person here has a better shot of making it than anywhere else in the world, regardless of outside factors like uh, ethnicity and and, and sex, uh, sexual orientation and class. Not to say they don't exist. I'm saying they're mitigated here more than they are in a lot of other places. Um, but so what this means is we it's hard to say what a Canadian interpretation is, what a Canadian reaction to a thing is. It is, it, we, we can have hot dogs, we can have people that are proud and unabashed, and we can also have fucking humble people that keep their shit to themselves. And why not? Because we are as contradictory and complicated as people. Yeah. And, and also like the, the Canadian identity is one that's built in the fact that we have so many identities too, and it is such a diverse yep. fabric of um, perspectives yep. and, 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 yeah, and cultures and, and all that kind of stuff too. So um, I love that answer. Very, very um, interesting and engaging. Um, what do you think you first grasped, grasped your identity as an actor and filmmaker and how you really wanted to wield the art form to talk about the world around yeah. you? Um, well, uh, thanks for asking. I, I, knew, I knew that I wanted to make movies when I was nine. And I started acting, uh, being on set as an actor when I was about 12. And even when I started then, it was always my mom, it was like a means to an end. It was a chance for me to be part of movies and be on set. And my mom always said, you know, you, you want to go to film school, being on set is probably the best film school in the world. So you can learn how to direct by being an actor, probably. And she was right. And um, I knew from an early age, this is like, this is such a, like an like arsehole way to answer the question, because the the... I would love to give the answer of like, oh, I don't know, I'm just figuring it out. But no, the 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 the, the fact is, at like 10, 11, 12, I knew I wanted to direct movies. I knew I wanted to make movies here. I knew I wanted to make movies. I knew I wanted to make them in Canada, um, and 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 everything that that entailed. So um, so pretty much, I don't remember a time where I cared about cinema and didn't care about um, it here specifically. Like I enjoy movies from everywhere. That's not what I'm saying. My favorite movies are not Canadian. But my point is I, in this art form that I have, that that, that chose me, I, I it chose me in, it, here. And so I always knew that it behooves me, especially if I gain any kind of success or, or sort of my name or face get any kind of currency, that I have to use it um, as best I can, to the extent that people will allow me to, um, to to point them in the direction of interesting stuff here, because at the you know again out of fear of being American, um, we end up uh, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You know we don't we don't want to have we don't want to have the fireworks fucking culture that they have, where every event becomes a postcard, you know, or a movie. Um, but but the flip side of that is. 
um, the average person on the street uh, often just doesn't know what the fucking Halifax explosion is or something like that. And, and, um, and that is not good. There's no, there's no healthy, strong country in the world without a sense of its own identity and history. Um, so yeah, so, so the entire time, man, the entire time. And, and over the years, how do you think your artistry has changed as you've progressed through your career? Has your pers- how has your perspective evolved and, and your approach to your craft, if anything, or actually maybe in tandem with the larger picture and what's happening in the world as well? Yeah, that's a good, very good question. I think I ho- hopefully, um, hopefully I'm better and better. And I, what I mean is hopefully I, I keep improving and evolving. Um, I'm lucky that it is not a thing that uh, you you are limited physically on, right? Like I, if I played hockey, there would be a very finite point at which I had was at my sort of apex of my athleticism and physicality. And then, then there would be a very clear decline, right? Like nobody keeps becoming a better and better and better and better. Like it, it, it gets to a point in, you know, and I, and I, and I think some people think that uh, a capacity to create is like that too, that you will reach an apex and then there will be an inevitable decline. And that might be the case as well. And maybe I'm just not, I don't feel like I'm there yet. Or maybe if I am there yet, then everyone's been humoring me and it's in the past. I didn't even fucking know what happened, but hopefully um, it is like my POV. Um, hopefully it gets a bit more uh, nuanced and, uh, and patient and, uh, and I try my best because at 41, there's already shit that I am out of date on. There are already concepts that have to be kind of re-explained to me and unpacked to me, you know, and that's fine. That's how it's always been. You know, there, there was stuff that my parents were ahead of their time on, or there's stuff that my parents gave their parents shit about being backwards on that. I gave my mom shit on being backwards on and someone's going to give me shit. That's just the way it fucking goes. Right. But I would like to think that I work hard at this, that I am a bit more, uh, yeah, for forever more and more tolerant and accepting and and nuanced and less sort of uh black and white about things and uh, and i try to judge people by their rules not mine you know and uh and hopefully my art reflects that that there are very few uh hard yeses or hard noes there are very few 100% good 100% bad that that most is uh, a gradient and that we live in a world of of gray and 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 contradictions yeah. and something can be good and bad at the same time yeah absolutely i think we're you know i think as a as a society and as a community we're kind of getting away from this notion of the binary that there's a yes or a no yeah. a black or a white everything kind of exists within yeah. these kind of different shades in between Hopefully. and it, there is so much nuance and context that needs to right. be taken into consideration Correct. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, storytelling today can take on so many shapes and forms from, you know, the streaming giants to social media as a filmmaker and storyteller yourself. In what ways do you think today's landscape empowers or disempowers artists? You know, there's a lot of discussion around uh, right now around like AI and uh, and technology. So what is your POV on the current landscape around storytelling and the mediums that are being used to tell stories? Uh, yeah, I think, and this is probably uh, going to be a bunch of people get mad when at this uh, if they heard it, but I think it is ultimately the same as it ever was, you know. And so, because for every um, for every bit of uh, for every tool that becomes a bit more accessible to the average person, 
For, for every time that the walls are breaking down and an institution is opened up, um, there are a bunch. So, so every time it gets easier to create, there are, it is almost canceled out by all the other things that make it just as difficult as it used to be, right? <laughs> so um, you used to be that like if you made a movie in your backyard, you were shooting on a camcorder, no matter what, it would look like fucking dog shit. And you would hope <laughs> to God that somebody could see, hear your voice through it. And, and understand your storytelling ability, divine it through, you know, VHS camcorder crap, right? Well, now your phone comes out of the factory with presets on it that are like, oh, if you wanted, it could be broadcast quality, you know? So this means that it is now in theory easier to make a movie, right? But, but, um, but there are less appetite for sort of, movies traditional movies than there ever were before and when i was a kid there were movies at a, a dozen different price points and scales you know there, there was a star wars but there was also all these like there were rom-coms and there were like fucking cop thrillers and then there were action movies and then there were cartoons and then there were indie films and there were horror movies and there was all these different movies at different scales and different colors and now there's basically harry potter star wars marvel and million dollar horror film or million dollar comedy or something like, you know, two people kicking, two people on a road trip or two people stuck in an apartment somewhere, right? Like there's nothing else in between, right? And and um, and movies are prohibitively expensive art form. So while it might be easier to actually shoot one than it was before, it's probably harder to make a dent. And also because um, now everybody uh, uh, curates their viewing experience more than they did once upon a time. So once upon a time, you'd watch a movie because it was on TV, right? It was the thing in front of you or it was at the theater. Um, now you can spend your entire life just picking the shit you want to watch on the internet, right? And so to cut through that is another fucking sort of barrier, right, to, to connect. But then I would argue that there was no YouTube when I was in high school. And YouTube is where the most mm. interesting sort of uh, storytelling techniques cinematically are, are especially in the documentary sense uh, are, are all the most interesting stuff is all happening there so i think this is all to say that this is why i said i started with same as it ever was for every innovation there's something else that makes it just as difficult right and so so i think the good thing though is probably what's the term net positive i think the ultimately the best is probably better because at the very least all kinds of different looking people see themselves in shit now, whereas that wasn't necessarily the case in this part of the world for a very, very, very long fucking time. Stuff that yeah. I, as a white boy, took for granted and never understood how, you know, because people look like me. And so what could I, be, you know, but I understand and I see that now it's a special thing that like um, a whole bunch of like uh, people that aren't white and people that aren't boys um, grow up and can see themselves in a movie and it's not a crazy unrealistic thing for them for that to be a goal that seems like something they could fucking do and that's a special thing yeah absolutely um last question i have for you you know we focus on you know in terms of our coverage really like the pursuit of excellence the pursuit of glory at being the best of what you do and what that even means to different people what does the notion of glory mean to you what does it mean to be glorious through the lens of jay oh boy um yeah that's a hard one because it's like i i'm a human being so i'm as prone to i'm as you know prone uh, I, i'm as uh uh susceptible to adulation um and uh as anybody 
Um, but but uh, it's like I, I have to make a distinction in my my head between sort of uh, what for for what what qualifies as glory, right? So so for me, it is it, I try my best to keep my value system intact, where it's about like, do I love this thing I created? And if I love this thing I created, that's glory. You know, um, anything else is going to be whatever happens, whatever the world makes of it doesn't matter because I believe in this thing and I made a special thing and I got to create in the greatest art form the world's ever come up with. So that that's personal glory for me. Um, however, when a movie I'm in gets a standing ovation at the Berlin Film Festival like this one did, or people like a thing I did, it feels great and I love it. Um, but, but that comes and goes and that is deeply inconsistent. Um, and it's like, for me, I think of it as this. I think of like, I, there's two kinds of happy I can feel. I can feel like uh, junk food happy, or I can feel like pot roast happy. So like junk food happy will be like I eat, you know, a, a, a shitty like cheeseburger from uh, someplace that like tasty, loved it, went to McDonald's, loved it, but I don't feel good. I feel full. It's scratched an itch, but I don't necessarily feel good. And it's gone pretty quickly and the energy I get from it. But if I eat like a proper Sunday roast, I feel good as I'm eating it. And I feel good after, and it keeps, and, and, I, and I keep feeling good, right? And so to me, personal glory and being proud of the thing I set out to do and knowing that I have created a thing that I wanted to and thought the world needed and I'm able to do it, that is, that's eating a pot roast. Someone telling me I did a good job as a cheeseburger and that's going to be gone anyway. And, you know, so, so, so that some, somewhere in there is a convoluted answer to your question. I love it. You know, there's lots of, again, we're all about nuance and, and understanding the grays and everything. So I really, you know, that's a great way to end our chat and I really appreciate the time and congrats again on the movie. It's great. And um, I think it's going to get even more, even more, you know, great reviews and, and positive Thank feedback you. and everything. Thank and it was so such much, a pleasure to, to chat with you. Likewise, Lance. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked, who you'd like to see on the show, and anything else you want to share. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?